Danielle, and welcome back to another episode of There's Danger Here. I'm Leilani. And I'm Sam. And today I brought another wonderful case for you to listen to. I love all of these cases that you bring. Makes my job super easy so far. (laughs) All right. So today we're going to talk about Randy Kraft. Randy Kraft was born on 19... the 19th of March, 1945, to Harold and Opal Kraft in Long Beach, California. He was the youngest in the line of four, and all of his siblings were girls. As the only boy, he was doted upon by his mother and sisters. Both parents worked in order to pay bills. By all accounts, he had a good childhood. After moving to Orange County, he became an above-average student in school. And while Harold was reported to have been somewhat of a distant father, Opal definitely took over and actively participated in school activities such as uh, Parent Teachers Association, PTA, Cub Scout gatherings, and church activities. Good job. Yes. Being the youngest, by the time he was in high school, his sisters were all grown and out of the house. As I said, both parents worked full-time, which allowed Randy more independence than the average teenager. He picked up temporary jobs while going through school affording him the ability to buy a car. And with this ability, he now had was able to travel freely. Randy started frequenting gay bars at this time. Hmm. Still, he maintained his grades and graduated near top of his class, garnering him a full-ride scholarship to the Claremont's, Claremont Men's College. While he originally joined the college Uh, Under a conservative agenda, participating in several pre- or pro-Vietnam demonstrations, within a couple years, he transitioned into supporting a more liberal agenda. He also joined the Reserve Officer Training Corps. At this time, he was openly in a relationship with another male. For income, Randy began working at the Garden Club, which was a well-known gay bar in the area. He was seeking or began seeking the attention of male sex workers at this time as well. His first run-in with the law was in 1963 when he accidentally solicited an undercover police officer. Oh, no. (laughs) Oops. Yeah, oops indeed. But he was released with just a warning as this was his first offense. How many undercover police officers, like, do that job? Is that, like, a huge market still for policing like I don't know if it I doubt it would be now as much as it was kind of back then right um and I don't know if it was more because it would he was gay or if they were he was soliciting as a sex worker you know if there was a distinction between the two I feel like in California probably not with the southern California is probably different than northern but in like when was this like now at this point we're in like the 60s 70s 60s yeah so california in the 60s is a pretty pretty liberal state um, from my understanding yeah i'm not sure my, mo- my mom could tell you <laughs> yeah <laughs> like ring her up like, yeah. hey mom there's no quick question for you oh. During college, Randy was plagued with stomach and head pain, causing him to take Valium frequently, which he often followed with alcohol. This delayed his graduation from college for eight months because uh, he was unable to attend his courses appropriately. However, he was able to graduate after retaking his final courses with a bachelor's in economics. After college, he joined the Air Force, where again he excelled until 1969 when he was medically discharged from the Air Force, he claims that he was released from the military for coming out to his superiors. While the mili- in the military, he did inform his parents of his sexual orientation. And though some reports say that they were initially put off by this, most reports say that they eventually grew to accept him. Um, and at the time that he was in the Air Force, they were not, you're not allowed. Right. Uh, your sexual orientation to be gay at the time. Uh, like, He's a bit of an enigma. Like yes. He goes into school as a conservative. And then... Well, I think his parents were pretty religious. So I wonder, you know, kind of what their influence had on him. And maybe that's why he did that. And then kind of as he spread his wings out on his own, he gets to see more things and 
they're transitioning right. to the more liberal agenda, which makes sense. Which makes total sense. But then it then joined the Air Force yeah. after that, which to all accounts, like one, you're going to be now potentially fighting in a war that you've now started protest at this point. Mm-hmm. And then you also like you just know you just know what the military like meant. It was like strong men. Yes. Strong straight men is what yeah, they wanted. Exactly. Yes. Strong straight men. And anything else was really just oh, a little so. subpar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Definitely a different time. Yeah. After his discharge, Randy returned to Orange County and began working at the Garden Club again part-time, as well as working as a forklift operator. Two years later, he decided to return to Long Beach University for a teaching license. Here, he met Jeff Graves, and the two maintained a relationship for four years before splitting. Following his split with Jeff Graves, Randy met Jeff Baker, another Jeff, who was 19 at the time. And they stayed together for two years before splitting. Randy's first known assault occurred in March of 1970. Randy met Joseph Fancher, I believe is how you say his last name, a 13-year-old runaway at Huntington Beach Pier. Randy approached young Joseph and offered him a safe place to stay. But as soon as they returned to Randy's, Joseph was fed a myriad of drugs, including pills, wine, and marijuana. When he was unable to fight back, Randy both physically assaulted him and sodomized him. Oh, my God. 13. When Randy left to go to work, Joseph ran barefoot out of the apartment to a nearby bar, convincing patrons patrons to call the police. Before speaking to police, he was taken to the hospital for treatment, which included pumping his stomach. After leaving the hospital, Joseph took police back to the apartment where they found his shoes, photos of Randy with other men, and illegal drugs. The police had entered while Randy was at work and did so without a search warrant. That coupled with Joseph's admission that he ingested the wine and pills voluntarily, no charges were filed in this case. Oh my god. He was 13. He was 13. I feel like that law's changed now. Like, I could be wrong, but I feel like as a 13-year-old, you can't consent. I guess it depends on the state in general, but like you would consent at all. Like you're you're a minor. Yeah. He should have known better. He should have faced charges. Yeah. On the 5th of October, 1971, police found Wayne Joseph Duquette on the side of Ortega Highway. He was nude and had begun, begun decomposing by the time he was found. At the time of his death, he was 30 years old, a known homosexual, and had been working as a bartender in Long Beach before going missing two weeks prior. His approximate date of death was September 20th. Hmm. So we're going to run through a lot of people through this. So sorry about the names. I'm not always the best at saying them. Edward Daniel Moore, a 20-year-old Marine, was found on the 26th of December, 1972. He was dumped from a moving car off of the 405 freeway in Seal Beach. Edward was strangled and bludgeoned. There were bite marks on his genitals, and one of his socks was shoved up his rectum. Oh, God. There's going to be a lot of this. Oh, no. On the 6th of February, 1973, another male was found strangled with a sock also shoved in his anal cavity. He was dumped by the Terminal Island Freeway in Wilmington. A sock. I sock. hope we get to the bottom of that sock situation. I, like, that. what? It just doesn't make any sense to me. The same month, the second unidentified male was found in Huntington Beach. He had ligature marks on his wrists with his genitals removed. Oh, my God. This man is so sick. He's so sick. He was missing his shoes and socks. Within months, pieces of another excuse me. Within months, pieces of another male were found scattered along Long Beach, San Pedro, and Sunset Beach. Even though he was dismembered, bondage marks were identified, and it was notable that he was refrigerated prior to being dumped. The only parts not found were his hands. 
holy cow. Like I just this, jumped right in on you. You really did. Like, this is blowing my mind, too. And because it's different. Like, there's the soft theme was the same for a few of them. But, like, each one is pretty different the way he's doing this. And doesn't it's that's atypical, I feel like, for a serial killer. I know they evolve as they go along, but mm -hmm. for the most part, they have like their... They find something and stick to it. Yeah. Next, Ron Weeby, a 20-year-old, 20, 20 went missing after bar hopping on July 28, 1973 from Fullerton, California. He was found on the 30th, fully clothed, minus his socks and shoes, dumped along the 405 freeway in Seal Beach. He was beaten, strangled, and bitten on the stomach and penis. Again, a sock was found in his anal cavity. Oh. This man has an obsession, shoes, and socks. Like, <laughs> what? And murder, I guess. And murder. Yeah. On December 29, 1973, Vincent Cruz Mestis was found in a ravine in the San Bernardino Mountains. Vincent was 23 years old and an art student at the time. He was found clothed, again, minus his socks and shoes, and again, one of his socks was shoved into his anal cavity. In addition, he was shaved of the face and head, and his hands were removed. Plastic bags were placed over his wrist, and perimortem, a thin object, was inserted into his penis. Well, that's just getting worse. How, how does a person like this walk around in their daily life and no one like no one suspects them of doing all these heinous things yeah like i don't know i don't know it's just like how how is he out in the public like this man is so sick unhinged he's unhinged yeah like do you keep it bottled up and then it just pops out all of a sudden or oh it's so bizarre yeah I don't think that we can get into his mind. No, definitely not. Moving into 1974, Malcolm Eugene Little was found nude and propped up against a mesquite tree beside Highway 86, west of the Salton Sea in Imperial County. Malcolm was 20, a 20-year-old 20 unemployed truck driver who had recently traveled from Al Alabama in search of work. He was found with his gen genitals severed and one of the branches from the tree was propping him up four six inches into his rectum. Oh my god. What number is that? Like what are we on? Like victim eight now or it keeps going. Oh. Three weeks later, Roger Maybe. Dickerson, an eighteen year old Marine, was found near Laguna Beach golf course. He was last seen leaving a bar in San Clem is it Clement Clemente. What I know that. I think it's Clemente. After telling friends, he found a ride to Los Angeles to spend the weekend. He was sodomized and strangled with bite marks on his penis and left it all. Mm -hmm. It's a lot. There's, right. a, there's more coming. This is like one of the like largest serial killer body counts I've ever heard of. And I'm from like the Pacific Northwest. Like that's, I'm in like Ted Bundy. Country, country. Yeah. But this is wild. On August 3rd, 1974, Tommen Paxton Lee, a 25-year-old waiter and sex worker, was found by um, oil field workers in Long Beach. Just nine days later, Gary Wayne Cardova, a 23-year-old, was found off a highway in southern Orange County. He was found barefoot, and death was caused by an overdose of alcohol and Valium. Then on the 29th of November, 1974, James Dale Reeves, a 19-year-old gay man, was found by Irving police. He had left on Thanksgiving and never returned. He was left on display by the killer with his legs spread and a four-foot-long tree limb sticking out of his anus. Holy. The only piece of clothes he had on him was a bloody T-shirt. Oh, my God. I'm like... You so, don't even know what to say about I, it. This really is just don't. terrible. In 1974, 
in December of 1974, John Lyris, a 17-year-old high school student, was found in the water on Sunset Beach. He was heading to a Long Beach skating rink to try out new roller skates that he had received for Christmas. When he was found, he had a wooden surveyor stake in his anus. Two sets of footprints were identified in the sand where he had been carried from a car park to the water. So he was dumped there. On the 17th of January, 1975, Craig Victor, his last name's hard, Donitis was found by construction workers near Long Beach Motel of the Pacific Coast Highway. Craig was 21 years old. He was dressed minus his socks and shoes again. As a result of the string of murders, detectives from Santa Ana, Orange, Imperial, San Bernardino counties, along with Los Angeles, Long Beach, Seal Beach, Irvine, and Huntington Beach met on the 24th of January, 1975, to organize a task force. They were joined by the FBI profile from Quantico, Virginia, a special investigator from California's state attorney general's office, and several forensic psychologists. I can't believe, like, being a police officer and you are keep finding bodies like this. Yeah. You have to have, like, a fire, like, burning under you. And if you listen to this timeline, he's just going. Oh, it's so it's, fast. Mm-hmm. It's like the second you process one scene, there's a new scene to go process. Like, yeah. it's, yeah, I would be, I wouldn't be able to sleep if I was on this case. Like, I would just assume he's out there doing this to another poor victim like it's true because even with all of this in this task force um the killing spree continued without any signs of slowing down oh on march 29 1975 a 19 year old high school dropout keith davin crotwell left his home in long beach he was last seen hitchhiking south in a black and white uh, mustang had picked him up he was dismembered and a group of boys that were out starfish hunting stumbled upon him, his severed head. On May 8th, near Long Beach, uh, Marina. Starfish hunting? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, because on the beach, they used to, like, you can look for starfish. Wow. In the middle of the night? Is it, Oh, wait, they weren't. No, fine. it's not the night. Time. I assumed it was the night. Season, but it's, no, that was when this kid was murdered. Oh no. Police found that Randy Kraft was a registered owner of the same colored Mustang. Randy spoke with police and did give a report um, telling them that Keith got a ride but stated that he was dropped off at an all night cafe. After this, Randy had a very brief cooling off period of a whole 24 weeks. So they had him in his sights, talked to him, let him go. I would hope that you you have like no leads so far on all of these murders mm-hmm. and you finally get like maybe a little bit of something like the last known place this kid was alive was in this car find out it's this guy's car maybe you talk to him and he's super charming and you're like ah no way it's him but let's tail him for like the next year that's what i would do next year that's a, that's a long time. It's a lot of money <laughs> and a lot of taxpayer dollars. And maybe this one guy who's just super pleasant. But yeah, no, I would have people on him nonstop. But for 24 weeks, he didn't do anything. Yeah. It's like he must have been pretty good at this. Like, leave no evidence. Like, it's a horrible way to say that. I know. Okay. It's an awful way to say that. I will retract what I just, how I just said that. But like, he's leaving nothing behind. That's the first scene that anyone has even spotted him with these kids. Yeah. The first time that, yeah, he got caught being seen with them. But even then, he talked his way out of it. Right. On October 31st, 1975. Larry Jean Walters, a 21-year-old, was killed in Los Angeles County. Then on New Year's Eve, Mark Hall, a 22-year-old, was killed after leaving a San Juan Capistrano party. 
He was found on the 3rd of January, 1976, nude in the Cleveland National Forest. He was bound to a sapling, sodomized with his legs containing deep slashes from a knife. His eyes, face, chest, and genitals would burn with a cigarette lighter. Cocktail swizzle stick was forced through his penis into his bladder. Then his genitals were removed and stuffed into his anus along with dirt and leaves. What? More dirt and leaves were found in his throat, and he had a lethal level of alcohol in his system. Oh, this guy is, like, demonic. Mm. On the 21st of March, 1976, all of Peter Moliter was found on Manhattan Beach. He was only 13. Um, you keep, like... I know. I mean, I know that this is not going to... Everything's on now. It's not going to work this way, but I keep hoping... Because occasionally he, like, finds a Marine. keep hoping that, like, one of these Marines will just end up killing him. But that's not how the story ends. That's not it? how this goes. <laughs> yeah. On April 7th, Kenneth Eugene Buchanan was found in Inglewood. He was only 17. Weeks later, on April 19th, Larry Armendariz, a 14-year-old, was found in Los Angeles. Another 13-year-old, Michael Craig McGee, was found on Redondo Beach on June 11th. In October, a 16-year-old, Randall Lawrence, was found on the Highway 80 in a trash bag. And during the same time frame, on December 10th, 19-year-old Paul, I think it's Fuchs, went missing from Redondo Beach. Numerous other victims were dumped at this time frame, but they remain unidentified. My God. He's, like, getting a little, like, for lack of better words. Man, I'm going to sound awful on this podcast. But, like, he's getting lazy. Like, he's choosing 13-year-olds now, 14, you know, like, picking young. Well, one of his first victims was 13, so. Right, but he he shied away from that. Then. Like, I think it's just whoever he's found. Yeah, he. I guess he's just gross. <laughs> then uh, another cooling off period began from April 16, 1978, when Scott Michael Hughes was found. Um, Scott was a 19-year-old Marine found by the 91 freeway in Orange County. He was found fully dressed, but his shoelaces were removed and believed to have been used to strangle him. During the autopsy, it was found that his left testicle had been removed and his genitals mutilated and Valium was in his system. Um, On June 10th, 1978, Roland Young, 23-year-old, was released from Orange County Jail. After leaving jail, he wasn't seen again until his body was found on June 11th in an Irving gutter. His wrists were bound and his scrotum and part of his penis were severed, and he was stabbed four times and redressed. This is, it's just wild to me that this man was able to have a life and do this at the same time. Get away with all, like, get away with this for so long, too. Like, on June 19th, Richard Keith, a 23-year-old Marine, was hitchhiking from Camp Pendleton to Los Angeles to see his girlfriend. He was found the next morning in su- southern Orange County after his body was pushed from a moving car. On July 6, 1978, a still-alive Keith Klingbeil was found after being pushed from a moving car as well. A motorist found him lying across a northbound lane of I-5 Mission Viejo. Officially, he died from an overdose of alcohol and Tylenol. During his autopsy, however, ligature marks were noted on his ankles as well as cigarette lighter burns to his nipple. Like, I just. Your lack of disbelief is pretty heavy right now. I'm like just totally beside myself with this case. I cannot believe I haven't heard of this. I find it crazy that he's not as talked about as he is with the body count he has like, and what he's done. I have literally Googled like serial killers who've killed like a ton of people just out of like curiosity, you know, like you watch your documentaries and then you're like, wait, that person's so bad. How is there anyone worse? And this guy has not ever shown up. And this is maybe one of the worst cases I've ever heard, actually. Yeah. And it keeps going. 
So on November 18th, 1978, a 21-year-old Michael Joseph Inder Beaton, who was a Long Beach truck driver, was found. He had been sodomized with an unidentified object. His eyelids burned with a cigarette lighter and dumped in the same location as previous victim Edward Moore. On June 16, 1979, Donald Harold Crissel, another Marine, was dumped from a slow-moving vehicle off uh, the 405 freeway in Irving. There were multiple, multiple eyewitnesses to the account, but couldn't accurately identify a vehicle. He had ligature marks around his neck and wrists, but cause of death was another overdose of alcohol and medications. Where is he getting these Marines? Uh, there's a Marine. I would like make sure my Marine prepared. <laughs> like, don't drink and take drugs from any stranger right now because you very well will be killed. Like, that seems like how many of them were getting off. I like, mean, while you're in the military, you don't I know that drugs anyway. That's but, true. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Through the rest of of the year, numerous other males were found along the Southern California freeways. Not all, again, were able to be identified. Those that were identified included 13-year-old Thomas Lundgren. He was found on May 28th after being beaten, stabbed, and strangled. His throat was cut and his genitals severed before being dumped in, in Agora. On August 6, 1979, Marcus Grabs was found after being stabbed, strangled, and sodomized. The 17-year-old was again hitchhiking out of Newport Beach at the time. His body was dumped on the Ventura Freeway near La the Los Angeles County line. On August 27, 1979, Donald Hayden, a 15-year-old, was found in Liberty Canyon. He was sodomized, strangled, and tossed in a dumpster at a nearby housing project. David Murillo, a 17-year-old, was found on September 11, 1979, after hitchhiking on a highway on Highway 101. He was nude and had been beaten, strangled, sodomized with rope burns on his ankles. Randy Kraft was working as a freelance data processing consultant in July 1979. By August 1980, Randy was consulting for Lear Sigler Industries, I think is how it's called. It's LSI, that had regional offices in Michigan, Oregon, and San Diego. His consulting allowed him to travel to these offices. On July 17, 1980, Michael Sean O'Fallon was found along I-5, 10 miles from Salem. Oh, my gosh. So now he's in another state. And, like, I'm looking out at the landscape. Yeah. And which this up. Yeah. Michael was a 17-year-old who was hitchhiking out of Colorado to British Columbia and then to Oregon. Michael was found naked, hogtied, with a cord around his scrotum. He had high levels of alcohol and valium in his system. On the 3rd of September, 1980, Robert Wyatt Loggins Jr., a 19-year-old Marine, was found with a plastic garbage bag around him. After being locked down in his barracks for drinking, Robert had finally finished his punitive measures. The night he went missing was the first night he was able to leave. Randy was found with lethal levels of alcohol and medication in his bloodstream. His death was not ruled homicide at first until evidence from Randy's home matched him to Robert. In April 1981, 17-year-old Michael Duane was hitchhiking from Seattle to California. Michael was found sodomized, beaten, with scratches covering his thighs and groin. That same day, Randy, Randy visited a hospital close to where Michael was found. He had an injured foot. According to him, the accident occurred while walking barefoot in his hotel. So likely, Michael fought. Mm. On July 29, 1981, the smell of rotting flesh led police to Hollywood Freeway near Echo Park in L.A., where Raymond Davis, a 13-year-old, and Robert Avila, a 16-year-old boy, were found. Raymond had disappeared while searching for a lost dog a week prior. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Sad. He was just trying to find a poor pup. Oh, just family dog and this monster comes into your life. Just three weeks after this, on August 20th, Christopher Williams, a 17-year-old, was found dumped in San Bernardino Mountains. 
Christopher had been given sedatives and was suffocated with papers shoved into his nostrils. So we're moving into 1982. No victims were identified until November 26 when Brian Witcher, a 26-year-old, was found on I-5 near Portland, Oregon. He had alcohol and valium in his system that had been asphyxiated. This man has been getting valium either prescribed to him or like the same dealer, whoever, wherever he gets it from. He's been getting valium for 20 years now. Like, I guess more than that. It was a lot more common back then, though. It definitely was. It would not be happening now. Uh, on December 9th, Dennis Alt and Chris, Chris Showborn, who are cousins, were found in Plainfield Township, Michigan. They had gone out to a bar together two days prior. Chris was nude. A ballpoint pen was shoved into his penis with alcohol and Valium in his blood. Dennis had the same concoction of alcohol and Valium, but was fully clothed, although his pants were unzipped to expose him, and he was minus his shoes. Both men were strangled. Oh, this is like also shocking. Like maybe this is why I haven't heard of it, but it's like one of the first times you don't have to be scared as a woman. Like she's not coming for you. No, no, yeah. So Randy had been in town for a conference, and it was later identified that the pen inserted into Chris matched his hotel pen where he was staying. Uh oh. On December later. Right. Yes. <laughs> not, not soon enough. But... On December 9th, 19-year-old Lance Trenton Tags was found nearby the original dump site of Brian Witcher in Oregon. He was found with his socks shoved down his throat and no signature of al- alcohol or Valium combination. The same month, on the 15th, 29-year-old Anthony Jose Silviera was found outside Hubbard, Oregon. He had been hitchhiking home after work. When he was found, once again, he had the alcohol and Valium concoction in his system. He was sodomized with a large object. Then a red plastic toothbrush was partially inserted. How does this man, like, he has a job. Mm -hmm. How does he do so many of these murders? Like, you just roll into work, like, at 10 a.m. the next day like sorry I had a night yeah like, what like how do like, you function how are you yeah it's like an, he's like an alcoholic like but a murder holic like he's yeah. by noon he has to have a murder and yeah. else he gets the shakes yeah exactly like and oh it's just so wild to me that he's able to like sustain a normal human lifestyle while still doing all of this and is he collecting all these shoes? Does he have like a massive shoe closet? Like, what is he doing with the shoes? Like, I don't think he's getting shoes, but he does take trophies. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Um, so Randy left semen behind in this case. Uh-huh. Still too early for DNA, though, right? What year is this now? <laughs> I mean, been... <laughs> we're early 80s. Yeah, we're into 1982. Okay, so we're pushing, we're right there. Yeah. On February 13th, 18-year-old Jeffrey Nelson and 20-year-old 20 Roger Duvall Jr. were found near Claremont College. They had been sodomized and strangled. They, uh, the pair had been bar hopping two days earlier when they went missing. During this time frame, 21-year-old Michael Lane disappeared while hitchhiking in Orange County. His skeletal remains were found in 1984 near Ramona, California. On the 14th of May, 1983, Randy was pulled over at approximately 1 a.m. under the suspicion of driving under the influence. Gee. I mean, it's about time. Yeah, it's about time. He's clearly like, he probably is an alcoholic too. Like, there's a lot of Valium and drinks. So, come on, man. So Randy stepped out of his own vehicle with his pants unzipped. As the officer approached the car, he found Terry Gambrell, a 25-year-old Marine, lying in the passenger seat of the car. He was clearly deceased, wrists zip-tied together, with his genitalia exposed. 
marks of strangulation evident across his neck. An autopsy would reveal that he was strangled with his own belt. In addition, he had high levels of alcohol in his system, along with Ativan. I switched it up a little bit. Yeah. Randy was immediately arrested and the car was searched. There in the, his car were 50 or more Polaroid photos. All of them were of males who were at least unconscious at the time the photos were taken, though it is speculated that many were already dead. In addition, 61 nicknames such as Iowa and deodorant were found on the list. This list was thought to be have been one of the, his victims and was deemed a scorecard, which is what led to him being known as the scorecard killer. LA Times reported, quote, authorities have linked Kraft to 45 murders in Southern California, Oregon, and Michigan. They say the number could be much greater. However, based on the list Kraft kept in his briefcase with 61 entries, prosecutors have called the list of his scorecard victims, end quote. Various prescription medications and tranquilizers were found. While Terry didn't have any open wounds, the back seat had noticeable blood in it. Like, so I'm just trying to think about this too. Like, he gets pulled over and he gets out of his car. Like, well, he was intoxicated at the time, so I'm sure he wasn't thinking like he normally would have been. Yeah. I mean, clearly, but it just, oh, it's, it's so strange. It's so strange that he can live a normal life, but then this is like the man who shows up when the police pull him over that one time. Like, how was he, how did he get away with this for, for so long, long before? How yeah. had he not been pulled over? I have no idea. Moving to his apartment, more photos were found of victims along with articles of their clothes. The fibers of his apartment carpet along with his fingerprints were later used to match comparative samples in unsolved cases. So he did leave behind evidence. It's just they didn't have anybody to compare it to to find out right. who it was. There was right. no suspect at the time. Randy was initially charged with a single murder, Terry Gambrell. Uh, and after pleading not guilty oh, on wow. May 16th, 1983, cool. his bond was initially set at 250000 Oh, that's just not enough. However... The judge tripled it owing to his dangerous okay. nature. Okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I don't even think that's enough. So yeah, oh. He should have been a no bond. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. You have how many bodies? Like, yeah. No. There's not enough money no. in the world to let you walk out of here. No. A week later, Randy was returned to court. So he paid it. Or no, he returned to court for a bail reduction hearing. The de their defense attorney labeled their client as a, quote, Passive, nonviolent, and hardworking, end quote. Oh my. In response, prosecutor Brian Brown immediately charged Randy Kraft with four additional murders that of Jeffrey Nelson, Robert Loggins, Roger Duvall, and Eric Church, at which point Randy put in a second not guilty plea and the judge accepted and revoked the possibility of bail. Sounds like such a beautiful moment yeah prosecution <laughs> like sorry you want a bail reduction well i'm also gonna charge you for four more murders that right we, like, that we know you have done we'll hear your arguments like we'll let his counsel speak for him we've got some stuff to say <laughs> one week later an additional charge was added for the murder of mark hall oh you know they were just in their office like trying to connect the dots to all these people like, i'm sure and but also like are we going to try these all at once or one at a time because if you fail one you could fail them all yeah like i can't imagine the prosecutors are like what well, i don't even know how to sort where do you begin i don't even know where you begin i also don't you it'd be so frustrating because you'd have so many like if there was a sock shoved in some inside of someone yeah you instantly know it's this guy who did it. Yeah. Like, but you have to prove it. Yeah. You can't just say like, well, clearly he did it. Cause look at all these other guys. Like yeah. you really can't do that. Like you have to be able to say, well, here's how we know he did it. Like for every single one, for every single person. You could, I, if they were doing multiple trials though, you could use 
previous ones against him in most cases unless defense went for sure. right for them to not bring it up that'd be a case that like circumstantial evidence to me would be valid yeah. like i'd be like okay he was in the same area at the time this kid was found we know his mo and we know what he does yeah, yeah he did it like by September 8th uh, of 1983, a uh, press conference was held by prosecutor Brian Brown announcing that the state was ready to go to trial for 16 counts of murder that were conclusively tied to Randy Clark. Mm -hmm. The preliminary hearing did not begin until the 27th of that month and lasted seven weeks. The patrol officer that found Randy with the dead body in the car was called to testify. Forensic pathologists were brought in to speak about the injuries inflicted on victims of Randy. With all the information against him, Randy was held for trial. While awaiting trial, Randy's initial defense attorney, Doug Otto, withdrew from his case, stating he would not allow Randy to be co-counsel, which is what Randy had been insisting on. Once a new team was instated, both prosecution and defense put in multiple motions. These resulted in continued delays and cost over $2 million. And this is before the trial even began. Oh, no. That is a lot of money. Yes. At the same time, Oregon came in filing six counts of murder. Michigan followed with an additional two counts. Uh, she wanted to be okay. It's like such a serial killer thing to do. Like, you just they know better. Assume that I got away with it for so long. Let me just get away with it now too. yeah it's like a god complex like, it is. they think they're better than everybody which is why they think that their murder their murdering of people is okay well okay well now i'm explaining to you why it's okay no dude right murder's murder and it's not acceptable or, or they like think that they are going to be so clever to convince a jury and a judge that they didn't do it they, yeah like they just think they're so smart and they can outwit everyone. Terrible. In September of 1988, the trial against Randy finally began. The defense attempted to prevent any evidence during the search of the car and apartment from being reported, but were denied as proper search and seizure were followed. In another motion, defense requested that beyond the 16 victims that Randy was on trial for, no other names or information could be allowed in court. So like I was saying before, defense is going to try to keep that out. The judge allowed this motion. Prosecutors returned by calling more than 157 witnesses and presenting the court with over a thousand exhibits of damning evidence. Wow. They were like, you know what? Fine. We won't talk about the other we victims. Don't need them. We're going to bring in a yeah. ton of information yeah. to just push it over the edge. This is like a, a case that goes back to how being a defense attorney could be, that would be really tough. Yeah. It would be, I would have a, very very difficult time taking that job yeah because where do you i mean he's clearly guilty how do you defend somebody like that i don't are you just could yeah i think i would like just if it was my job you know i would, I would just tell him like yeah i'm not gonna get you off for this stuff yeah. i'll try to get like you in a good jail it? yeah like i'll try to negotiate the system and make sure you're not screwed when you're in jail for the rest of your life but you're going to jail the rest of your life yeah, like they also the defendant also has to agree to that so right oh, can't imagine no thank you mm -mm. not me all of the evidence and witness accounts took until november 30th to present after which the prosecution finally rested then the defense took over their side of the case they attempted to give alibis when plausible in addition, they ascertained that it was other suspects that were likely to blame. At the time Randy was active, there were many other serial killers in the area. William Bonin and Patrick Kearney had been imprisoned after the killing in the same area, offering credibility to some of these alternate suspect theories. During the trial, Randy did not take stand to testify. Instead, he wrote to friends and family in order to plead his innocence. At sentencing, Randy continued to deny any guilt, stating, quote, I have not murdered anyone, and any reasonable review of the record will show that, end quote. So clearly delusional. Oh, I'm delusional. Finally, on May 1st, 1989, the defense rested. After deliberating for 11 days, 
the jury returned a verdict, and on May 12th of 1989, Randy was convicted of 16 murders, as well as 12 other sexual crimes, such as sodomy and torture. On June 5th, the sentencing began. Randy's defense team brought in a family photo album, as well as test- testimony from jailers, co-workers, and a psychiatrist, who stated that Randy's violence was, quote, something that he could not, that he, excuse me, let me say that quote again, <laughs> quote, something that he had no control of, end quote. Okay, so he goes to jail for the rest of his life. Then. Like, yeah, it's not worked. I was like, like how, is, how is that part of your defense? Oh, he can't control his violence. Okay, so if he gets out, he's going to murder again because he can't control it. Why would I ever think that that would help? Yeah, I mean, at the, you know, he should have lit, like, pled insanity. Right. That really would have worked. He could have been able to get his Valium still and his Adamant and just live in a nice, push little psych ward the rest of his life. But in addition to all this, ministers opposing the death penalty showed up for support. At this, uh, the presiding judge, McCartan, had enough and stated that their testimony was, quote, so far afield, it's stupid, end quote. Prosecution rebutted by bringing in Joe Fancher. If you recall, he was the 13-year-old that was assaulted by Randy. The jurors reviewed and on August 11, 1989, unanimously recommended the death penalty which the judge affirmed on November 29th. In his sentencing, Judge McCartan informed Randy that numerous families with missing children wanted to find out if Randy had been involved. McCartan stated, quote, with response to your legal grounds for appeals, maybe you might give some thought in your waning moments to help to helping these people out. And so the judge is trying to convince him to acknowledge you know, other missing kids right, in the area that, that he might have. Like bring bring peace to families who question, like a closure, yeah, yeah. something, yeah, some resolve in the situation. Really, really want to be peace, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's not even always closure, but at least some resolution to right. what happened, right? The unknowing, I feel like, can be so much worse. A target to like just put all your anger. <laughs> That's yes. really what it would be. I want that target. I don't yeah. Like, by the time the trial concluded, the initial $2 million had grown to costing $10 million, making it the most expensive trial in California at the time. In addition, cold case detectives continued to try and match unidentified victims to Randy Kraft through DNA or evidence, as the scorecard had not been matched to all his victims. Still, more than 20 victims had not been identified to date. All appeals post-trial were denied. It's shocking me that this was like one of the most expensive trials at this point. Like, it seems like such a slam dunk, mm-hmm. you know? Like, why would it cost so much money? There's so many, like, well, so if you remember, victims. Yeah. And well, at one point, they weren't allowing the knowledge of the other victims to be part of the trial. So then prosecution amped up what they already had was like, all right, well, we're going to ensure that there's no way he's getting out of this. Yeah. Which is what I would do too. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, then I'm bringing every single solitary piece of evidence, no matter how small it is, it's right. coming to this case. Yeah. You're going to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't, you can't let this man walk out. Mm-hmm. So, in several cases, um, there was thought to have been two people involved. Multiple of his victims were dumped by being pushing, pushed out of a moving vehicle, suggesting that someone was driving and somebody was pushing. Right. And you had mentioned like two footprints yep i was just gonna say yeah that that in the case of the body dump in the ocean two sets of footprints were visible some sources report that jeff graves may have taken part in crimes many of the crimes uh, committed were while jeff and randy were together however jeff was never charged as there was never enough evidence against him or any other person jeff died from aids related complications on july 27 1987 at Sonoma County Hospital in Santa Rosa, California. He gave no deathbed confessions, taking any potential information with him. Hmm. I mean, the two set of footprints, maybe he was putting on shoes, you know? Like, he was taking their shoes and nothing else. Like, maybe he was 
<laughs> like, it was so strange. Maybe, but how would you uh, do the moving car? Because the one guy was still alive when he was pushed out. But he could have been like, but he even had if, alcohol and drugs. But even if they weren't, how is somebody going to drive, push a person out? It'd be pretty impressive. Yeah. It'd be, it would be a pretty impressive. And then reshut the door. Like, yeah. It would, and like fast enough that, fast enough that people couldn't identify the vehicle. Because there was witnesses. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. That, it, it just would be pretty impressive. You would have to have like an apparatus to view or something. I don't know. If, and there was times that it was pairs of people that were killed together. That's right. I was thinking that. Two people, men together. Like, I mean, that's also trying to, I mean, I know that there's, you know, the volume in the system and the alcohol that would probably slow people down, but still two against one. Two is, that's You'd have to really like. They would have to be passed out. Yeah. At that point, you, you couldn't. You couldn't take on two. Yeah. And again, he took on Marine. Yeah. Like multiple, like multiple. at least five. At least five. I can remember on that list yeah. of Marines. Like some of them are younger, but at the same time, they are young, fit. fit kids, mm -hmm. like men, and he was just aging. So he's not like I would. I would. I have to see a picture of this guy. Like, was he physical? Like, did he look physically fit, or was he just like an old he just, gross man? You know, I think he's an average guy. Yeah, he needed help. That's what I mean. I definitely think so. At least for some of these, because how are you knocking over two guys at once or moving the car? the car thing? Will get me till the end. Like, there's no way that one person did that. Yeah, the car thing is definitely. Like, I don't actually know how you would do that unless you slow down low enough. But there's, as you said, that not happening. Mm -hmm. And then it's just so, like, it would maybe explain also, like, how some of the victims were, like, maybe slightly different here and there. Like, yeah. either someone, and the fact that it's happening so frequently, maybe Jeff was like, you know what, I'm going to go do it myself. Like, yeah, and, and they were just like going crazy together. Yeah. Jeff was his boyfriend, yeah, for several years. The four year boyfriend, or the yeah, uh, so Randy Kraft's death sentence was upheld by the California Supreme Court on August 11, 2000. Currently, Randy Kraft remains on death row in California at San Quentin State Prison. Shut where he purports that he was only found guilty because of his sexual orientation. Nah, that is so not true, man. <laughs> it's so not true. Yes. All right. So that was the gruesome details of all of his crimes. And that wraps up the terrible case of Randy Kraft, uh -huh. a.k.a. the scorecard killer. That's a really, like, why was he not this. talked about more? I know. I'm really like shocked that I haven't heard of him. I don't I'm like curious if it's because his victims were like young men that it's not talked about as much, but it's just shocking to me that that went on for so long. Mm -hmm. So I actually wrote out his victim list. It takes up a solid page. Yeah. Of information when you're putting them out. Yeah. I was expecting after like the eighth one. You're like, all right, she's done. I was, when are we getting caught? I assumed we were going to be like at most four more. Like 12 is enough, right? Like, that's, yeah. One is, one is enough. One is enough. One is, uh, one one is more is than enough. enough. But like, it was enough to become like that the stories you see on Netflix and, mm -hmm. you know, the, but I have not. It's just, pretty devastating yeah and so we have you know 41 names of known victims um there's so many more and he so. has you know 20 extra names on his scorecard that, that were never identified so i mean he was like hitchhikes and like there's gonna be so many names that people that you're just missing and yeah that's that and there was missing kids in the area that have never been found i mean 
he has the potential to have a lot more actual victims. I know a lot of serial killers, I feel like once they get in prison, they try to bolster their story and give extra numbers. But I really feel, and he hasn't done that. And yeah. I really feel like his list is a lot bigger. Than... Yeah. Just like, when was his execution day? He doesn't have one. He He's in California. Oh, okay. California is one of the states with a moratorium on their death sentence mm. or their executions. So he can be sentenced, but now they're not. He's one that I definitely, he's the reason that I owe death penalty. Right. Really 41 people. And he, psychiatrist says no control over it. Right. So there's no rehabilitation possible at that point. So what good would it be to have you back in society? None. So why are you still like, there's, there's nothing that could come of. Right anything other than the death penalty like you need and the way that he did it he was vicious he was vicious he was vicious it was like i really meant it like it was demonic Mm -hmm. like i don't even want to bring up the details of the one that i said that on but it was so it's just so at a level of animalism that's even worse than like any horrible animal you know like any awful attack right like animals don't do that to each other he is on a he's it's just wild to me yeah wild that he got away with it for so long yeah and then he tripped up by being drunk in a car that's the only thing that the only reason he would stop it's for an intoxication like this cop's not coming up thinking oh i found so like some serial killer i found something crazy he's thinking this stupid motherfucker is driving drunk and now I have to deal with it. And then he steps out and he's got his pants unzipped and he's like, what the fuck is this? And then he walks up to the car and dead body with all this blood in the backseat. Yet the victim in there is not bleeding. So who's all this blood belong to? Yeah, it is. That would be, I bet you that still remembers that night as if it happened yesterday. Oh, I'm sure. I am sure. Yeah. How could you get that out of your head? You couldn't. No. It would be like the smell in the air that night. Like, and then you open the trunk and you see all these other pictures and you're like, oh shit, here we go. It would make your like stomach fall to the floor. Yeah. When you like seeing a trunk full of Polaroids just would make you, oh, the hair. Your whole body would stand up. I can't. Thank you. I'd like to think that I would like want to like like take him down. Like, like I, I have this like wild fantasy that I'm such a badass in real life, and I would just beat the crap out of someone and have it have that chance. This is why you're not a police officer. Yeah, like I'm sorry, I can't be professional enough not to kick the shit out of you when I find out you've committed a crime. So, I don't think it could really beat the shit out of anyone. Um, but so probably would just let him get away if I tried that at that point. But yeah, I I would I couldn't be a cop for that reason. Yeah, no decorum against it. Sorry, Definitely. can't do it. Yeah, you have a lot of. all right well to all those listening remember to be careful out there it's a dangerous world we live in and again if you're listening to this podcast go ahead and like and follow and review Um, we'd greatly appreciate it thank you